Welcome into another edition of the Deep Slant Podcast presented by Xfinity. I'm your host, DP Sibiu. Another big week for the Texans. It seems like a long time since they've had a game because they had the mini-buy after Thanksgiving Day. And here we are. We're headed into week 13 against the Indianapolis Colts. The Texans try to see what they can do as far as this final stretch of the season, get some more wins. Uh, Deshaun Watson playing his best football ever. He'll have to do so without Will Fuller. And the defense will have to go without Bradley Roby. Obviously, that was the biggest news of the week. So this week's podcast, I talked to Brandon Cooks because he's having quite a season himself. It was slow going when 2020 began, uh, the regular season. And then now, as the season has clicked along, he's been a lot of fun to watch. So I wanted to get his thoughts on how he's thought 2020 has gone for him with the Texans, what he thinks about Deshaun Watson. And then uh, he's got a lot of really cool interests and hobbies, so we get to know Brandon Cooks a little deeper. It's a true deep slant. It's one of my favorite types of interviews where you just go completely off the rails and just ask uh, things that have nothing to do with football and really get a sense of the player. So not a long interview. Um, I think it's about eight minutes or so, but we, we sort of hit a lot of different topics. I've got that coming up. And then also we've got Lara Overton of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, she's a team reporter there for the Colts website and Colts TV, Colts radio and all that. And I get a chance to talk to her about this Colts team in 2020. We chatted in the offseason once that the Colts had signed Phillip Rivers and DeForest Buckner and what they thought that the, um, the season would look like, what the offense would look like, what the defense would be like with uh, Buckner, and I think it's exceeded everyone's expectations. So he's been banged up this year, um, and he may not play against the Texans, but you know we'll have to see. He was on the COVID list, so we'll, we'll chat with Lara a little bit later on. But first, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Xfinity, the fastest internet in Houston. Experience internet that's more than just fast with Xfinity XFi. Xfinity, proud partner of the Houston Texans, proud partner of the Deep Slant Podcast. So let's dive right in with Brandon Cooks, year seven, year one with the Houston Texans, and what he has thought about his first experience in Houston so far. Brandon, welcome in. I haven't had a chance to actually have a one-on-one -on -one with you since you signed with the Texans, but just in looking at your numbers, you've had four 1,000-yard seasons. You're pretty much on pace to hit that again in 2020, if all goes according to plan. How has it been for you with the Texans this first season? Is it about what you expected? Is it better than what, what you expected? Record aside, just your yeah. performance on the field. Yeah, no, I, you know, for me, you know, not having that off season with Deshaun, I think, uh, you know, OTAs, is, you know, presented a challenge. And so that, that slow start was, you know, not surprised about it. But I think now that we continue to build that rapport, you know, week in and week out and getting better with one another, uh, I'm starting to see that connection continue to grow. Um, and honestly, that's all I can ask for. You know, we've seen what Deshaun can do here in Houston, and it seems like even we are surprised with the numbers that he's putting up this year. What about from the receiver's point of view? Because there's a lot more passing happening in this offense this year than we've ever seen before. But what sort of growth have you seen from him as yeah. the two of you have developed yeah. your chemistry? Yeah, he's a, he's a special player. I, I'm not shocked at all. You talk about a guy that could – really make any throw out there. And like you said, passing a lot more for whatever the situation may be. Uh, but you talk about a guy that is just special at his job, you know, top in the league. And and I didn't play with some great ones. And and so to be able to say that, I, I mean that. And, and then at the end of the day, the way I can, he can extend the play, the, the guy is different for sure. All right. You and Will Fuller have been a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, we saw the news this week that that he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Yeah. And 
Romeo Cornell was asked about it. He says that he doesn't really want you to be any different than what you've already been to the team, but you know, maybe you might be able to step up as a veteran in that wide receiver group and offer some guidance to the young receivers. Yeah. I heard you talk about it in your press conference. What is that going to be like for you? It's your, you're not new to the NFL, but you're still in your first year with the Texans, but you have yeah. built that, that rapport with your position group. Yeah. The players. biggest thing is just, you know, trust in the process. And I, like I told them guys, don't try to do anything out of the norm, you know, do your job the best that you can and let everything get, uh, take care of itself. Uh, the last thing you need to do is go out there and force it and think, oh, I need to do this because this person used to do that. No, you are who you are uh, and you're on this roster for a reason. So letting them know that they can have that confidence to go out there and play free. All right. You've scored some touchdowns this year, and I'm sure you've addressed this with other teams that you've been with, but I've never heard you talk about it here in Houston. But I want to know about the celebration, the the archer, the bow and arrow yeah. thing that you've got going on, because it seems like archer is like a common theme with your social media with yeah, your celebrations yeah. yeah for me it's just another way uh to give god glory and uh, my faith is in everything to me and so instead of the traditional crossing you know your heart uh always wanted to come up with something unique and i came across this verse psalm 144 6 and it stuck with me and so that was just my way of being able to give god glory anytime i you know do something special out there on the field Oh, that's interesting. I like yeah. that. You yeah. And you became a dad recently, too. Yeah. I saw that your yeah. son's middle name is Archer as well, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. I like that. That's really cool. All right. So um, I like to look at people's social media accounts. I feel like I get a good sense of them. And someone told <laughs> me that you are a big-time photographer, and you have a whole separate yeah. account for your photography, which was pretty impressive. All right. So it's... um. Archer 12 Eyes, yeah. is that mm -hmm. correct? All right, mm -hmm. so yeah. you do landscape, portrait yeah. photography. When did all that begin? And how do you have time to keep up with I know. It? I tried I photography know. for a little bit yeah. and everything is collecting dust now, but no when doubt. did that all start? It started about two years ago. My wife and I, uh, well, first of all, my mentor, we been on, went on a big trip together one time and uh, Eric and I, he, he introduced me to travel. He's always traveled the world his whole life. And uh, I, we traveled, but I didn't have a true camera on me. So I thought to myself, I, there's no way I can be going to these other countries without capturing some of these special moments. Um, and so I really wanted to learn. And I got introduced to Leica. And from their own, I started to get mentored by some of their photographers. Um, and I took it and ran with it. So the, the time comes really right when off season starts, because uh, that's when I can get my month of traveling in. And then my wife and I, we travel a lot ever since. So uh, that's when it all picked up. All right. So what's your, what, what do you really, what is your best pictures that you've taken so far? What's something that you really want to try your hand at when it comes to photography? I think my, my favorite picture so far ha, uh, is probably one of the shots in, uh, in New Zealand that I took. It's a, it's a landscape shot for me. We love New Zealand. We've been there multiple times. Um, so I would probably say it ha has to do with one of my pictures that happened in New Zealand. All right. So how much have you invested in photography? Like it's a lot of lenses and a lot it's of it. a lot of lenses. Yeah, I know. It's, and, it, it can, and it feels like the more money you spend, the better your pictures turn out. That's so. what it seemed like. But then <laughs> sometimes you can go down this rabbit hole and think you need all this, all these gadgets. But in reality, you can get you one perfect lens. But it's a uh, it's not the cheapest hobby. Let's just mm -hmm. say that. Yeah. No, it's not. And I, yeah. I speak from personal experience, but I did, it didn't really make my foot. I think lessons probably would have helped me more than an expensive <laughs> lens. Um, all right. You've got some really cute dogs. I'm really into yeah. your dogs. You've got yeah, three of them. Dog. I think we may have the same breed of dog. What kind of dog do you have? I got a golden retriever and two uh, golden doodles. 
Okay, I have a golden doodle too. Maybe yeah, that's why yeah. I'm drawn to your dogs. No doubt. No. Okay, three dogs and a baby. Are we going to add more dogs or more babies? No, we're, we're chilling for now. <laughs> we're for, the next thing we'll be adding is more babies, but no more dogs. No more dogs. <laughs> no more dogs. I, mean, I have one and I'm yeah. busy. So, yeah. but I have one dog and three kids. So, okay, so you switch. So yeah. I think, yeah, I th either way, it's it's not easy. Yeah. All right. Sunday's game is my cause, my cleats. And I saw that your cause was single moms yeah. and you've done some, you've done a lot of work in your past with single moms, like in Uganda, some really cool stuff, building mm -hmm. houses in Uganda. I can only assume that comes from your own personal experience. Yeah. Why is this cause so, so near and dear to your heart? Exactly what you said from my personal experience, my mom raising me and my three brothers uh, growing up, you know, my dad passed away when I was young. Um, so it always had a special place in my heart. You know, my mom is has always been uh, my motivation. And to see everything that she did and, and grow up the way that we did, it was a no-brainer when I made it. Um, I always wanted to help out in, in that area just because uh, it has a special place in my heart. Are you from Uganda? Is your family from Uganda? No, no, it was just uh, something that I wanted to do to uh, my church that I was introduced to and um, something that we, my wife and I wanted to do. Uh, but no, I'm from California, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have no accent for being no. from Uganda. Yeah, yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I kind of want to know. I feel like whenever you make a big play on the field, it's it's exciting. It's momentum shifting. It's been a lot of fun to watch you this season. But do you have a favorite catch or favorite moment from this season? Uh, that's a good question. No, not really. Not really. I mean, they've all been fun. You put me on a spot right there. You had that I long really touchdown. I was going to say, I think a 57-yard touchdown might oh, be on my... All right, I'll take that. I don't want to put an answer. I don't want to give you your answer. No, there. yeah, I haven't thought about that, so I ain't got nothing for you there. Well, you've got a few more games left, and so hopefully that moment is still yet to come. So Thank best you. of luck for the rest of the season. Always a pleasure, Brandon. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. You too. All right, be sure to check out Archer12Eyes on Instagram and and you can see all the cool photography that Brandon Cooks is talking about because I think he's got some of those shots that he referred to from New Zealand. Uh, he's quite the photographer. So, you know, I, don't, I just don't know how people have time to do that. But I guess when it's your off-season, um, I think players like to delve into that other artistic side of themselves. They've got the physical side that gets plenty of work during the season, and then the off-season they like to, to work the other, the other parts of their brain that uh, are kind of dormant during the season. So that creativity... That side really gets to come out. It's very, very cool to see. And his dogs are super duper cute. All right, another another friend of mine, she's got a very cute dog. I think his name is Tugboat. He's this huge, huge dog, bulldog. Uh, Lara Overton, uh, Indianapolis Colts team reporter. Uh, we're going to talk to her about this Colts team in the Phillip Rivers era and beyond because they're sitting at 7-4. and four. They're coming into NRG Stadium and uh, this is the first time that these two teams are facing up this year, but a lot to look forward to with Sunday's game. It's week 13, Lara. How is it going? Let's get talking about these Colts, man. Man, we had to wait till December to do it, but we get <laughs> to do this twice in a stretch of three weeks, thanks to like the wild scheduling. So excited to be with you. We'll call it frenemy sidelines because we're much closer <laughs> to friends than enemies. But man, this is stacking up to be a really tough, late stretch of the season for the Colts when you talk about last weekend not getting the job done against the Tennessee Titans now facing a bit of an uphill climb to try to position position themselves into a playoff spot 
Well, the Colts are off to a 7-4 and four start. The last time we chatted was actually this offseason. The Colts had signed Phillip Rivers. And you and I had discussed, you know, what he might look like in this offense. You had discussed his comfort level in the system. He had some familiarity with Frank Reich and that offense that he runs. But, you know, now that you've had a, a, quite a few games that you've been able to watch him play, where do you think that he's really made his most progress? Where do you think that he really needs to improve this final month of the season? One of the things that you notice when you look at Philip and the numbers that he's put up and the production that he's had is the number of different guys that he's engaging in this offense. There have been multiple times that he's had 10, 11 different receivers that he's connected with on this offense. And that's not just your wide receivers. That's also getting your running backs engaged in the passing game as well, especially with Naheem Hines being somewhat of a dual threat. And then also Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins. And when you lose to start the season, your star bell cow running back in Marlon Mack, and then you also lose Paris Campbell. There was a lot of work to be done in terms of bringing up some of these other guys who are a little deeper on the depth chart and getting them involved in this offense. So that's one of the things that with a veteran quarterback like Philip Rivers, you point to his ability to really spread the ball around and for the Colts to not just be one dimensional within their offense to have that passing and running attack. I don't think that the, the running game has been uh, certainly as productive as they would ideally have liked it to be this season. But what they've done a lot more so is spread things around between JT, Naheem, and Jordan when the opportunity has presented itself. And then you've seen guys like DeMichael Harris, an undrafted rookie who has had incredible games, Marcus Johnson, who's a veteran, um, who he and Phil have an incredible rapport. Then you talk about kind of staples like Zach Pascal, and of course, T.Y. Hilton, and then also your tight end. I mean, guys like Trey Burton, a new addition to this team in the offseason. He has been so impactful because of Phillip Rivers, the way he runs this offense, how much he loves to utilize his tight ends in addition to his receivers and backs. You mentioned T.Y. Hilton. Texans fans are so familiar with him. <laughs> it seems like he's not had the scoring success as of late. We see T.Y. Hilton always banged up, always dealing with injuries, yet he's still out there on the field. What's 2020 been like for him and how has his chemistry come along with Rivers? In a word, I would say it's been frustrating for T.Y., not for lack of his effort or Phillip's attempts to get him the ball. It's almost been one thing or another week in and week out. I asked Frank Reich about this a few weeks ago, and it was just kind of one of those situations where you would get him the ball and he would make the grab, but then there was a flag and there was a penalty, maybe on the old line, maybe there was a holding call or something. So it was just these very frustrating situations where it wasn't for lack of effort to try to get T.Y. the ball, it just was not falling into place for one reason or another. And it's also the fact that you know defenses are going to key in on T.Y. Hilton. He's a primary guy. He's your veteran receiver. When you're bringing in a new quarterback in 2020, you know that Phillip Rivers, 17's eyes are always going to go to 13, right? That's probably going to be, in most scenarios, the first place you're going to try to get the ball in those deep passing situations, so those chunk play situations. So it's a multitude of different things. It is not because, you know, certain people have pointed to, oh, you know, T.Y., maybe he's over the hill. Maybe it's time for him to hang it up. I assure you with 
what we saw last weekend against Tennessee, even in the loss, it was T.Y.'s most productive game we've seen all season long. And it was vintage T.Y. There was a huge chunk play. He also had just an incredible catch in the end zone, keeping the toes in. He was well covered by the Titans defense, and he was able to make one of those, you know, really clutch plays that was vintage T.Y. Hilton. So this is now the point where you think that T.Y. is starting to find his stride, maybe catch a bit of rhythm with Phillip Rivers. And one of the things that those two guys connect on so well is their sons coming up in the ranks of playing football right now. You have T.Y.'s son, who's a receiver and a running back. Phillip's uh, son is, of course, a quarterback who plays multiple positions as well. So one of the things those guys have found common ground on is being dads to up-and-coming football players in their own right. So they have really great chemistry and continuity off the field. It hasn't quite played out, as you imagine, on the field just yet, but you certainly think that that time is coming. I'd love to see that in the offseason, a little bit of a young Philip Rivers and young T.Y. Hilton action. Um, I know football. I think that's I think there I think there's an idea there, Lara. Get the scouting reports ready. (laughs) The scouting reports are out. Um, What about the run game last year that the the Colts were top 10 in, in rushing? Obviously, we saw what happened to Marlon Mack that first game of the season he's out obviously and you've got a, a great young rookie in the Wisconsin back Jonathan Taylor but you know what what is going on with the run game you've got Naheem Hines it seems like he's catching a lot of passes versus rushing yards at least in that Titans game but how much has it been a struggle getting that run game going and, and why has that been the case this year I think that people really took for granted the production of Marlon Mack and what he meant to this team because A lot of people saw when they drafted Jonathan Taylor and they thought, oh, you know, the Colts are, are, you know, now shifting their focus onto, you know, this up and coming, this young running back. You know, maybe Marlon Mack's time is limited because he's going into a contract year. Now you're starting to see the value in Marlon Mack. And that's not to discredit at all Jonathan Taylor for a rookie doing what he's doing, learning a new offense, coming into a new system. He has had a strong start to his rookie campaign, but there's just no replacing a guy who's coming off a thousand yard rushing season like we saw with Marlon Mack. So you're looking at this offense that has three very different talents in the running back room. When you have Naheem, who is that guy who is a weapon in the receiving game, as well as the run game, maybe even more so in the receiving game, because He has that breakaway speed. He's really tricky. He's elusive to try to tackle the cuts that he makes, you know, the moves he's able to throw in. He's a former college sprinter. He was an ACC champion in the four by 100 at NC State. So he has just incredible, impressive breakaway speed that's difficult for defenses to uh, to counter. And then you have Jonathan Taylor, who brings a ton of that, that power, you know, of course, the, the quickness as well. But one of the things that you saw from him at Wisconsin was his reliability, that power that he plays with. And we've seen on numerous occasions how tough he is to take down. This is a guy who battles for every inch, every yard. Then You have Jordan Wilkins as well. And one of the things that Jordan brings is a ton of patience. He also has a ton of balance. It's incredible to see what he is able to do in, you know, yards after contact on certain plays. So the the run game overall, you're not seeing the staggering statistics maybe that you did last season with Marlon Mack and and that group uh, collectively. But you are seeing them continue to mix things up. They're playing the hot hand. 
um, game by game, it's been a different guy here or there. Jordan Wilkins had a big, great game once, and then it's going to be Taylor, and then it's going to be Hines. So it's been much more by committee um, and playing to what the defenses are giving you week in and week out. Part of the reason with the running game not being what it normally has been, especially in that Titans loss, was the loss of your left tackle, Anthony Costanzo. What can you tell us about him? Uh, I saw that he had a knee injury. Doesn't sound great for playing against the Texans. So if he can't go, what's what's the solution there at left tackle for the Colts? Sprained MCL is the diagnosis on Anthony Costanzo. So waiting to see what the timetable is. And we saw a preview of just how impactful that loss was because he missed the game earlier in the season at Cleveland when the Colts lost to the Browns. And not only are you down Anthony Costanzo now, but also against Tennessee, you didn't have your starting center in Ryan Kelly. So at center, you have a rookie in Danny Pinter out of Ball State. He started out collegiately as a tight end before converting to the offensive line. Sunday's game was the first time he ever started in any level of football at center. And you're coming in for a guy in Ryan Kelly, who is a pro bowler. There's a reason he signed a $50 million contract in the offseason. He's incredibly valuable to this offense, especially with a 17-year veteran there at quarterback. So you had Danny Pinter at center in place of Ryan Kelly. Then when Anthony Costanzo left the game, you had LaRaven Clark coming in at that left tackle position. So you have your center and left tackle both out against, of course, the Tennessee Titans, a major divisional opponent. So just you lost some of that continuity. And we heard how important that was last year for this Colts offensive line. They started all 16 games together uh, in 2019. So you're seeing those guys who are coming in and Lorraine Clark's a guy who's had a few years within this system, but it's a difference when you're going from Anthony Costanzo. There's a reason he's the starter. There's a reason that he decided to not retire this offseason and come back to play another year, signed a two-year deal. So hopefully we get him for, for two years here with Indianapolis. But Danny Pinter, you saw, really played solid in his debut at center for the Colts. And then you have LaRaven Clark. What they do have on this offensive line is you also have Chaz Green available. So we've seen in other situations this season where it's been a trade-off between LaRaven and Chaz in some different situations. So it will be interesting to see what they do this week because Based on a sprained MCL, just the familiarity with the severity of that injury, it certainly doesn't appear to be season ending, I would say, but you're certainly thinking at least a week or two on Anthony Costanzo. So waiting for the outcome on exactly what that's going to be. The other scenario that was proposed this week is, do you look at the other side of the line and think about shifting somebody from right over to left and then, you know, playing personnel differently in that way? So that's another thing to look for as well. If we have a little bit of a rotation there, a little carousel on the offensive line, and maybe your guys from, from the right side shifting over to the left, at least in the interim period of time. It'll be something to watch, certainly. Um, the Colts defense is something that we've heard a lot about this this season. And Romeo Cornell was asked about them a little bit earlier in the week. And he said they were playing shorthanded against the Titans. That's definitely not the defense that we're used to seeing. And I have to think he's thinking about all pro defensive tackle DeForest Buckner because teams have not been able to really run the ball against the Colts with the exception of Derrick Henry. He was the only 100 yard rusher and he was able to do that twice. But in Sunday's loss, I mean, he really had a big day against a Colts defense that was without Buckner. So has Buckner really solidified himself as the MVP of that defense? Because it seems like when he's in the game, he makes such a difference on what opposing teams are able to do on the ground. His uh, impact on this defense is 
infectious. I mean, not only on your front, but I mean, his presence has felt all the way through this defense and creating opportunities for your linebackers and your secondary as well. Worth noting, not even just DeForest Buckner on Sunday, also you were without Danico Autry and your linebacker, Bobby Okariki. So there were some definite glaring holes on that defense. And you have a lot of confidence in the guys playing behind them, of course, but there's just no replacement. There's a reason you traded the 13th overall pick for big number 99. You saw what he did in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. We know the imposing presence that he has on that defensive front, both in the past and in the running game. It is really difficult to replace a guy like DeForest Buckner. He's he's just a game wrecker. You have those type of guys. You you guys have seen them season season after season on your own defense, right? Who are those game changing type of players? So you look at DeForest and you look at the type of seasons that he is contributing to for guys like Grover Stewart, who just got the big payday with a contract extension. He's having a career year. Danico Autry has been playing incredibly well, and then that awesome linebacking contingent that you have led by Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, and Bobby Okariki. We have Xavier Rhodes in the secondary who appears to be almost back to Pro Bowl form as we've seen before. The new guy, of course, within your DB room coming over from, from the Vikings. So yes, DeForest Buckner is one of those pieces. I don't know that you want to say irreplaceable, but it's to that level when you're talking about a guy of his significance, his impact, because when you have a guy up there, up front on the defensive line, you know that offenses are going to have to game plan for him. They're circling him right there. You've got to be aware of exactly where he is. And when you talk about those quarterbacks who are so elusive, like a Deshaun Watson, guys who have the ability to extend plays, make plays with their feet, also just drop bombs in the air, you need a big force like that up front to disrupt things within an opposing offense. All right. Well, you mentioned your secondary. So that brings us to our next gen stat presented by AWS. The Colts are actually fifth in the league with 12 takeaways this year. So what's been the key to Matt Eberflus's defense getting all those takeaways this year? The word that they've hinged on this season is opportunistic. That's the word that they keep on playing to that keeps getting brought up when we have conversations with this defense. Because of the pressure you're getting up front, because of how well your linebackers are tackling, that's creating great opportunities within your secondary for takeaways. I mean, guys like Xavier Rhodes, the rookie Julian Blackman, who has just been so impressive this season. TJ Carey has stepped in and played for Kenny Moore um, in some different points. And Kenny, you know, still remains as one of the top slot corners, you know, in the league. So there are all of these guys, all of those moving parts, incredible talent that you have. But mostly I think that it is when they've had the opportunities to have those takeaways, they've exploited them. They've capitalized on them. And that that's, again, the presence that you feel from that really strong front led by DeForest Buckner, and then just having playmakers across the board. I mean, guys like Darius and what he's able to do in terms of just moving all over the field, chasing guys down, it's incredible um, in terms of the impact uh, that they're able to have on this on this defense and how they position this defense now is one of the top in the league. Matt Eberflus is, it has to be the scary thing for Colts fans is certainly you have to think that he's high on the list as you're seeing some coaching vacancies pop up or head coaching roles across the league. A lot of people certainly have to be having conversations about Matt Eberflus certainly earning the opportunity potentially if it is something that he's interested in to potentially do just that.
certainly have heard his name in coaching talks for some of these head coaching candidates that are opening up around the league. Certainly the Texans as well. One of those teams. All right, before I let you go, a story that's really intrigued me is one about the Colts punter. And I really couldn't believe it when I read it, but you know, he had a cancer diagnosis. He still played in the game Sunday and now he's undergone surgery. Tell me more. Rigoberto Sanchez. He had a tweet. He posted on social media on Monday that he does have a cancerous tumor having surgery Tuesday to remove that he learned of the diagnosis last week prior to that home game against the Tennessee Titans had conversations with the coaching staff and certainly the medical staff to decide whether or not it would be safe for him to play whether there would be any risk for him to play and when it was deemed that there was not he has such incredible heart that he was like, I'm absolutely going to take this opportunity to play with my team, to play for my team, not knowing when that next opportunity is going to come. So certainly that team is is rallying around Rigo. This community has rallied around him because he is, he's very well respected in terms of a punter across the league. But I can tell you within this locker room, within this city, he means that much more just as a leader, the ambassador that he is. You cannot find a more genuine, more kind person. He's incredibly strong in his faith. He mentioned that in his post that he and his wife are certainly relying on their faith in God to see them through this journey. So certainly all of the prayers and thoughts from this Colts organization going to Rigo and his wife for a full recovery and certainly first and foremost to see him back, to see him healthy, and then eventually getting him back onto the playing field. But that certainly was something that struck this um, organization, this locker room, this community very hard, very significantly on Monday and looking forward to hopefully getting some updates here soon from Rigo on his progress with the surgery and then any treatment that follows. Well, certainly wishing him and his family all the best as he works his way back. Lara, thank you so much as always for the time. It's been a pleasure. And um, you know what? I'll see you again in a few weeks. How about it? I'm mad I'm going to have to miss my trip to Houston because not only do I get to see you, it also has the best press box food that I think I've seen <laughs> in the league. I think you guys hold that for sure. Pittsburgh's is pretty good too. <laughs> you guys are right up there. So it's one of the things that I'll have to miss this season. But hey, 2021 will make up for it. That's right. We'll save you some barbecue and some Tex-Mex next year. How about it? Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Lara. See you in a few weeks. All right. So at some point in the week, I looked it up. In 2012, the Colts and the Texans actually faced off even later than they did this year. Because in 2012, the first time they met was at uh, NRG Stadium, then called Reliant Stadium, back uh, December 16th, 2012. And then they met again two weeks later, December 30th, 2012 at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Matt Schaub and Andrew Luck were the quarterbacks those years. So not quite the latest meeting of these two teams, but since I've been with the team in 2013, we usually face them early on, and then we always have that December game that's up in Indianapolis, which um, is always fun. I always enjoy those games. Mark Vandermeer says he wishes that we could play, get Indianapolis out of the way sooner. I like going up to Indy in December. My family's from there. I like seeing snow. Um, outside the stadium because obviously no snow, snow inside Lucas Oil Stadium. But really miss those road trips this year. Hope things get back to normal next year. And you know what? It still feels a little bit more normal with football, doesn't it? So hope you can enjoy the game on Sunday if you want. And if you can, you totally should check out Texans Unlimited presented by Verizon because Drew Doherty and I will be at the stadium. We will be bringing you pregame coverage live as it's happening. We'll answer your fan questions. We uh, chat with a player that we uh, record earlier in the week and then 
you know, we've got a lot of, uh, we do a lot of fun things. So you'll get a chance to see the stadium uh, from our vantage point, and we'll get into some of the top stories of the week. And, of course, uh, who's in and who's out for Sunday's matchup, Texans and the Colts. Kickoff is at 12 noon, Sports Radio 610, also CBS. A lot of people don't have CBS these days, so if you don't, then you definitely want to listen to Sports Radio 610. All right, well, that's going to do it for our podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can download the Houston Texans mobile app. You'll get notifications as soon as this podcast is uploaded every single week. And uh, you know what? Stay safe out there. And as always, go Texans.